and help help the investi companies scale up as well and you'll be very surprised this is not a capital decision this is a people decision this is an impact decision and in that case it automatically becomes esg for us um, thank you so much for tuning into journey with christian evans podcast i'm your host as always christian d evans and guys we have a very special guest on today we're going to be talking about international asia india saudi arabia middle east all these fun investment strategies and we're going to be diving into some really really cool stuff so make sure you listen to this episode this is an influential market growth expert impact driven entrepreneur he is making waves in the middle east japan india and southeast asia as the executive director and Chief Investment Officer of the Strategic Investment Group, he spearheads strategic alliance and policies for the prestigious private office of Highness Sheikh, Sheikh Ahmed bin Faisal al-Kasimi. With a strong background in ESG integration and venture capital investments, this man bridges people, technology, and end consumers to create remarkable market growth. Recognized for his outstanding leadership and unique problem-solving abilities, this man is an invaluable asset to any organization seeking transformative impact. Please welcome my next guest, the one and only CIO of the strategic, amazing office, my friend, Pranav Jodi. How are you today, Pranav? Thank you so much for having me in, Christian. Really, really appreciate you taking our time. Uh, we are in different time zones, but it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Man, I'm looking for this conversation, and one of the things I want to dive into, you mentioned, and just kind of just jump right into it a little bit, you focus, you're on the forefront of a lot of this deal making, and you and I were just talking offline of how the Middle East and Asia and that area, that region, it's massively growing, and I think a lot of the West and the U.S., we are not familiar with that industry as much as you are, and you mentioned specifically one of the LinkedIn uh, posts that you mentioned. The global ESG investing market was valued at $42.3 trillion in 2022. In the Middle East, this market expected to grow at a CAGR of 12.2 from 2020 to 2025, which is awesome. So let me help me understand, first of all, how you got into the ESG world and what are you seeing if that excites you about this vertical? So Christian, uh, you know, one of the ways of looking at ESG is really, really objective towards making an impact uh, if you would realize that you know most businesses today are not only growing with an orientation of making a difference but also looking at areas that are not necessarily very um, sexy if i may use the word you know the fact of the matter is uh, the objective of esg is really to take up uh, opportunities and areas that are just extremely important and really something which drives uh, long-term impact uh, and just the way humanity is so when we look at making legacy when we look at making difference in people's lives esg becomes the center core of it uh, we often uh, try to connect it with csr or we have connected with the energy we have connected with climate change we have connected with uh, renewable solar and uh, some of these areas which are publicly known categories but you know if you were to really summarize it and really build a value it is building impactful businesses for tomorrow which are not only profitable but also create self-sustaining opportunities not only for the next generation but the generations to come 
which is so exciting. And it's so interesting to see, you know, obviously you guys come from, uh, definitely in the Middle East, you guys come from a lot of oil, but you guys are very intentional in deploying a lot of capital in other sustainable energy uh, platforms and, and verticals, which is really awesome. When you look at some of these deal flows, if you will, uh, there's, you know, ESG is a broad umbrella in a lot of different verticals. And we are seeing it really impact holistically in everything, which is so awesome. And what do you think is, a misconception that a lot of people have, and what do you think is the, the kind of the time time uh, you know, time level, if you will, in regards to kind of seeing some of this actually come into fruition in regards to some of the verticals and the projects and the deals really, you know, getting proof of market. So uh, most people think uh, ESG as you know environmental, social, and corporate governance. You know the. Business framework for considering any of these businesses are not only environmental and social issues, really, Christian, but it's really, really aligning to the interest of defining what needs to be done next. You know, one of the three pillars of ESG align to the focus of the elements of any investment that is done. So while ESG looks at environmental, social and corporate governance, and that's the way you actually move ahead to define next steps and be more practical or pragmatic towards creating a legacy ecosystem. You know, the definition of EFG is focusing on people, process, and the business itself, product. And I often call it the 3P model, where potentially both people, process, product with a with a really a denominator of profit uh, defines not only creating long-term legacy because imagine building businesses or imagine building people where you don't have salaries to pay. Imagine building a process which does not lead to an objective or imagine building a product that nobody is using. So if you have people, process and product with defining a ecosystem which creates profit, then you have long gestational opportunity to not only create distinguished opportunity profits for the world but for the generations to come and if you really look at that that is what esd stands for and in that process if you are able to create corporate governance you are in most situations going to make a social impact and if you make a social impact the environment is going to build that so if you actually reverse it it is esg but you know potentially uh, it is really uh, making people happy and successful for making businesses work. Let me ask you this, because I've had some conversation in regards to the ESG model, where sometimes a lot of investors may not feel like it aligns with the, 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 the internal rate of return, like what they're kind of optimizing for. Hey, I'm going to give you X amount of dollars. I want a return from it. And sometimes ESG is is maybe potentially some people think or a lot of investors think it dilutes the company's focus from actually getting and optimizing the return. Do you feel like those are two different separate things or do you feel like there is an alignment as long as you structure correctly? What, what, is your, what are your thoughts on that? Hey, you know what? I think it's, it's kind of misunderstood in my views. Uh, I think one of the things with ESG and what a lot of people think is it's actually a choice. A lot of people think, you know, it's to be done after you make your business. In fact, that's not what it is. Uh, ESG is the way of life. ESG, if you don't make a profitable uh, business, then you're not going to make your business at all. Uh, then it's really a hobby, as I often say. 
you know you your hobby can make you some money out of it but that's not really a business but if you make your business uh, take value not only from the commercial side of it but from the civic side of it you know those two elements uh, align to interest of creating an entity now if you add and sprinkle once you know that this is a business this is what i need to do for a period of time and now you want to scale it you need to have processes and once you have processes you need policies to govern it you know and if you really look at it so esg is not something which someone can push down your throat and say that hey this is something which you need to do in fact you may be already doing it and if you are doing it right you probably are already successful and in that ecosystem you drive value often values are very high on the maslow's theory of uh, needs and if you really look at that uh, when you talk about something that you want to leave back for the society could be education could be corporate uh, diligences or support to society education climate it's really something which is becomes a part of the way you are it has nothing to do with it's a choice it's it's the way of going through so esd sdt ecosystems are all key principles of how business should anyway be run around we have been slightly away in the new life of talking about uh, valuations and we are talking about investments we've forgotten that you know business is for profit uh, otherwise you could always do charity but even for charity you need businesses for uh, making an impact so it's really really a way of life uh, and i think uh, it not only helps you scale up but uh, it gives everybody a comfort that there is some uh, some process to the madness well i love what you said in regards to just the building the foundation of the business it should be part of the dna of the company you know step 1 just like you know learning about the the you know the, the profit margins and the kpis and the financials this should also be kind of integrated in the culture or whatever, right? It should be also integrated into the DNA of the company at the beginning, because you're exactly right. Sometimes when you hit unicorn status or billion dollar, then you start kind of focusing on ESG measures when the reality, hey, let's take a look at this. Now I'm curious because we've we've talked about ESG in, on this podcast and, and it's been kind of an, an evolving topic with definitely within the last five, seven years. I feel like in the last two years, it's really made some leaps and bounds where a lot of companies and a lot of startups and a lot of these founders are really embracing these measurements. Do you feel like there are certain industries that need to optimize and really embrace it even further? And where do you think in regards to the time timestamp where we are at in regards to a lot of these larger companies like you just mentioned where they are integrating it into their their foundation within their dna of the company you know right off the bat hey actually great question um i think one of the things which we one needs to clearly objectify is that you know mature the industry the tougher is it for change just like anything in life you know it's uh, i always say that you know it's extremely difficult to change my grandfather it's slightly lesser difficult to change my father uh, i uh, can't choose a little bit of pressure with my wife's decision for me and my son uh, may choose to be far more flexible so just just that in life right uh, the uh, the maturer the industry the complicated the decision to value so in those cases you know esg as governance plays a 
very good communicative tool for business leaders to accept it. Uh, and I think that is where what your question was that who can. So I'm not even going industry. I think the maturer the industry, the maturer the market, uh, the older the business. Uh, ESG plays a more policy role over there because they've they've obviously been old, so they have kind of figured out uh, just being there. For the younger companies, startups, we uh, look at potentially consistent value to be that company that can survive age at time. And that's where, you know, governance, scalability, respect to people, culture, key builds key values. You know, one of the five key value streams that I always drive through my uh, investments, our consistent conversations with founders, we often talk about understanding. And, you know, uh, Christian, it's not even founders who do it. It's just the feeling of do they accept it? You know, potentially you have a strong proposition of building an ESD model if you have a top line growth uh, where businesses are keen to expand to new markets. Uh, and that's why countries like Middle East, uh, the Emirates, uh, India, all these countries who are looking to expand opportunities and vice versa in the US too, uh, we, we are considering having a very large stake in the in the Bay Area new markets because there's a frenzy for new technology and it's they, uh, the opportunity of them being younger to give it to the world is very high. So, you know, top line growth is one aspect of value creation, you know, cost reduction also for mature companies from an ESD standpoint becomes very, very valued uh, because, you know, in typically mature industries, there's a large part of non-adoption of new age technology. I mean, how many times have we seen in, in maturer companies? I don't want to look at, uh, take names of industries, but, you know, the CEO will still have four secretaries to write his email. You know, uh, at the same time, uh, Satya is saying that uh, use Bard or use ChatGPT to write emails for writer's block. I mean, it is as simple as value benefiting the bill story. You know, and ESD in that sense also drives a lot of value on, you know, regulatory global compliances. You know, it also gives a very strong sense of employee productivity because, you know, imagine you spend one third of your life in a company. Uh, you are, you potentially give one third of your life to paying taxes. The, the other one third, you definitely want to say that whatever I do in the other two thirds, I want to do something back to the place that I stay in. You know, and I think if, if that element overrides uh, long-term value, then, you know, the employee productivity and being uplifted is very important. And end of the day, if you consistently drive that, you know, investment and asset optimization is uh, brings consistent value. And, you know, that's really it. So if there is top line, there is cost reduction, there is regulatory, there is employee productive ecosystem and an investment and asset optimization. That's really something that we look at, not only for very young companies for old, the dimension of that conversation is different. Uh, for maturer companies, it's advocacy. For younger company, it is lifestyle. It's just the way it is. Well, I think it's so interesting, just like you mentioned, where you have literally have seen proven concept and proven data that says, hey, when you integrate this ESG focus, 
it positively affects every aspect and every pillar of your business, right? From the product, from the culture, from the value, from the vision, from the bottom line, from the top line. And I think that's so interesting. When you're when you're helping as a, as a business consultant and you go around and you you work with a lot of companies, a lot of individuals, do you find it's easier to integrate top down where you're working with these larger companies, these mature businesses, and helping them integrate this, or is it easier to would you say integrate it at the at the bottom up? where you're working with a lot of founders, a lot of startups and saying, hey, let's go in and start this. And then let's hit mass market with, you know, 100, 200 founders, startups, integrating this ESG kind of focus model right at the beginning of the DNA of the company. And then kind of, you know, uh, pivoting from there. And then these larger companies will start pivoting because we start seeing it, you know, hit cultural and, and, and main mainstream. What, 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 in regards to integration of this, um, what have you noticed is, is the most effective and produce the best result, would you say? You know, one of the things I think ESG also has matured into defining uh, stages of uh, alignment. Uh, you know, the difference really between the old school CSR versus uh, ESG was really that uh, CSR led to, you know, the concept to deploy ideas or employ and ensure that, you know, companies are carrying out uh, ethically oriented opportunities. You know, it could be really aligned to their business. Uh, uh, versus, you know, ESG became a measurement tool for overall sustainability. You know, so I think those two elements uh, for us become very easy because it's really intention versus what to do. You know, it's, uh, if I was to come and tell you that, hey, uh, uh, you should have a McDonald's uh, burger, but, you know, it's it's beach bread. I'm not very sure if uh, I want to, if I want to uh, give myself and enjoy a McDonald's burger, I want the old school McDonald's burger with a white bread. I don't care if it's healthy or not, you know. But the fact of the matter is someone was to tell me that this is the measured ecosystem, your blood group currently, this is the sugar spike, and this is why it is. That makes me an informed decision. So choice versus measured becomes the way we look at deploying a value. What that also does very interestingly, Christian, it gives a very clear introspective orientation of how leadership thinks. You know, if the, if the leadership is short-term, quarter-focused, uh, I, as someone who's looking for long-term partnership, looking to deploy capital, looking to deploy people, looking to recommend partnerships to grow business all over the world, you know, short-term view just doesn't work. Um, so for me, even an approach of understanding ESG and sustainability gives me clarity that, you know, end of the day, there is clear attribute of leadership who is looking at long-term visibility. And, you know, pivot always happens. I am not against pivoting business. But, you know, even with a pivot, the perspective is long term and not a short term cut around it. Because like I said, short term is great. It could be a great hobby. You know, you can always have uh, you can make money on it. But, you know, when you look at creating impact, uh, both professionally as well as in the lives of people, you have to have a process to the madness. And I think that drives a lot of our decisions to not only look at people, but also look at uh, large oriented measured actions that they look at uh, making an impact really. 
So let's kind of dive into this a little bit micro because, you know, ESG is the, the, the North Star for a lot of these companies and that impact side of things and social governance. And my question is when you just mentioned where, okay, you have certain KPIs, certain measurements to be able to say, hey, reverse engineering, hey, over a 10, 15, 20 year play, right? This is our goal. Reverse engineer, what do we need to focus on on a, you know, uh, you know, three-year plan, four-year plan, just like you mentioned, right? Thinking long-term and integrating and implementing this into your founding company. What, and I know it's really contextual depending upon obviously what company, what industry, what's the product, what's all this stuff, but I would imagine there are certain uh, kind of a baseline, a blueprint uh, for each each company to be able to say, okay, hey, consulting-wise, this is how we're going to integrate this. Well, this is what we're going to look at. And this is how we know if we're succeeding or if we're failing, if we're hitting the North Star or if we're kind of misaligned with it, what does that look like? Could you give us an example of maybe just a, maybe you don't have to mention their name or whatever, but a company that, hey, this is what we did. This is how we did it. And this is, these were the KPIs that we knew, hey, this was the impact. This is what we were looking for. And this is how we knew we were on the right path, if you will, to that North Star. You know, uh, uh, the fact of the matter is that it's a measured tool they're actually experienced CPAs and auditors who actually uh, are supremely qualified and fit to perform an ESD audit. And in fact, they have vast uh, parameters per industry determining whether the investee company or the partner company is compliant with multiple standards and framework. But, you know, one of the things which uh, we've often used is the Bloomberg ESD data service. And, you know, it kind of gives uh, not only ESD data and analytics uh, to us, uh, but also to potential partners and peers, also customers, because today customers are very, very uh, oriented to know what the background of the product they are acquiring for. In fact, that's where the market is going. In fact, the methodology today is no longer a backend data, which is used to either curate or build a value generated front but it is also very clearly a methodology where it is coming up front in marketing tools too because that helps uh, a value of a customer upgrade uh, and not even talking about organic non-organic i'm really talking about how it had the product has been built and the customer that seeks out to know that information. So, you know, end of the day, uh, there are various uh, methodologies to calculate that. And, you know, end of the day, you also have a lot of organizations who build a regulatory framework around it. Uh, I can give you an example between uh, the fundamental framework on ERPs and entities creating ESG ratings for entity is actually mandatory to announce those numbers as well. In fact, that creates not only areas of making uh, building business, but it becomes a reporting tool. And that also helps us valuing the company even before we actually know that. And I think that uh, kind of aligns to not only building value, but also building uh, an interest in building that across the board. I'll give you an example of a very, very uh, large investment we were considering, um, which potentially grew out of Africa and also grew out uh, out of, it, it was headquartered of a business in Cape Town, then had businesses in India, then had business in Malaysia, 
had lot of business out of Japan, also had a lot of significant pieces out of US and Europe, we could very clearly see the customer base was so augmented towards because the story was tied with sustainability. The story was tied about their portfolio of how their product was really produced. Uh, it was a tobacco company, just to give you an example. And that tobacco company really aligned while they can keep on, uh, they said what the challenges of tobacco usage was. But, you know, in that case also, what build a background about how they kind of approved or approached the entire portfolio of their product lines to build that across. So in places where you needed, where there was high orientation to the scores which ESD built, the market pricing differed than placage which it did not. So it's not only a good to have, but it's actually an indicator of what the customer really wants. And I think that helps us not only to drive uh, leadership, which I earlier spoke about, but also bottom of the pyramid, who is my customer? Because my customer is also looking at oriented uh, decisions of how organizations are looking at creating their product lines. You know, what's so interesting, it's just this whole concept. I appreciate kind of diving deeper into this and, and in regards to that holistic approach. And something I want to loop back in what you mentioned is the valuation of the company. And do you feel like, because obviously when there's a buyer and seller uh, of a mm. company, they're always looking at how to value it. What does that look like? And there are obviously all the valuations on how to actually structure it, structure it out. And that's very common to, to our audience and, and our listener base. But do you feel like by adding this ESG and say, hey, this company is ESG compliant or they have been able to meet their metrics within the last four or five years or six years or whatever the timeline was. And because of that, I'm curious how much more valuation that company will be in the future compared to a company that may be same product, same thing, same whatever, same valuation, but they don't have the ESG compliance or they're not in that ESG framework. What do you, you know, A, a and B comparison, what do you feel like would be massively different? I mean, because I think we're, we're, we're skating to where the puck is going to be. And I know that these investors, as well as, you know, acquisition or M&A, whatever happens in the future, there's going to be a lot of emphasis on, hey, is this company ESG compliant? Because now all of a sudden we're able to bring in another 3X on the valuation of this company or whatever the, the example may be. What are you seeing in regards to kind of the valuation and how by having ESG compliant and you know integrating this into your, your framework of your DNA, your company, that it is obviously very, very beneficial on the valuation of the company when there's an exit or an acquisition? So, you know, any any investment, Christian, when we look at it, we look at it from uh, clearly three dimensions. I'm, uh, you know, I spend a lot of time understanding liberal arts. So, done uh, economics, commerce, and, you know, understanding global principles. But end of the day, you know, businesses are really very simple. You know, in fact, uh, you know, businesses take very clear uh, automated decisions of, not wanting to be in trouble you know the lesser they are in trouble the better they can focus on their business itself you know so the the entire approach of a responsible investment comes from the approach of what and how long will this business survive imagine us looking at an investment uh, or forget an investment even me recommending christian you 
on saying uh, get being the CEO of a company. Uh, your first question to me is that Pranav, will this company exist after a year? Will will they be able to do my payroll for the next three months? It's all about that ability to accept and implement the general principles which create long-term sustainability. So it's as an in, as a responsible investment. And this responsible investment within family offices is very interesting to visualize because family offices are very clear that they are not looking at returns, but they are looking at making a different long-term value curve. And you know, that creates a very different visibility of how you measure. So very clearly, if there is a orientation of leadership, which accepts and understands ESG versus who doesn't understand, who doesn't care. I am definitely very uh, pro the person who understands. And I'm just looking at understanding at this point of that leadership. Further coming across that if companies have an ESG score and they actually have worked and audited and had a dimension of getting that done, I am already interested because I already know that they care about the business. They may be really bad in the business. They may have a really business, bad business model. They may be not uh, profitable. Cash flow must be terrible. All of that exists. But their intention to create a long-term legacy exists. You know, uh, I often say that, you know, if you if you have an appointment with the dentist, right, uh, and you and you don't brush your teeth every day, and if you are going to the dentist and you brush your teeth for an hour uh, before you go to your teeth are not going to be healthy, right? Uh, if you need a healthy teeth and you want your dentist to tell you that they are healthy, then brush every day, right? Or maybe twice a day. I mean, well, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that ESG is exactly like that. It has to be done every day as an investor, both orientation and someone who's taken the ori as a value, we look at that build across. In fact, forget as an investor, even when we look at, we do a lot of, we do a lot of heavy lifting in partnerships. Uh, we help organizations find partners for them to scale up in new markets. Uh, we have many both funds uh, in the US across the world who use us to have their investee companies open new markets in Middle East, in India, in Southeast Asia, find true distributors, partners. The way we seek that culture um, partnership are through some of these orientations. You know, it's if uh, if your wife is veg vegetarian and you love your steak, in most probability, after a couple of uh, weeks, uh, you guys are uh, eating in separate rooms. So uh, ESG exactly like that. You know, your your orientation of being together uh, for long term needs to have certain kind of commonality. Uh, in most scenarios, I can assure you, Christian, that uh, you will turn veg vegetarian just with her. <laughs>
Pranav, I, I love your analogies, by the way. They are just spot on and, and really good to take something complicated and make it very simple to understand. And uh, I think that's a really, really great analogy in the regards to dentists, but also like you mentioned, you know, that, yeah, you will be a, a, a vegetarian once you're done with that. But let me ask you this. Uh, I want to kind of step back and, and talk a little bit and, and bring yeah. uh, this amazing opportunity with, um, with what you're seeing over in Asia, uh, you know, India in, in the Middle East. The reason why we bring this up is I, I mentioned offline, I got a family office friend that she's going over there uh, to Asia and India area for the last two uh, two months uh, to be able to just build connections, network, connect, look at what's going on over there. It's very exciting stuff. We're also seeing a lot of venture capitalist um, firms here in the U.S. building and creating funds that will allocate money directly into those international markets. I mean, big, big, big funds, $2 billion, $5 billion. I've, I've heard some crazy numbers. So we're seeing a big play in this trajectory. I'm curious, what are you seeing in the next 10 years? Because we already know UAE and these other individuals, UAE, uh, Asia, they, they've got a lot of money already over there. And uh, they, they've been deploying a lot of it over here uh, in the West. But it's very interesting. Now they're kind of deploying it back into their own ecosystem and environment. But also we're getting the West to be involved as well. So it's very exciting stuff happening on a macro side of things. But I want to ask you, what are you seeing? And what, what are most exciting verticals or sectors or industries are you noticing the money is being deployed in a lot of fun activity? I would imagine tech, but I, I, I want to get your perspective and opinion on what going on there see i think one of the things within uh, middle east uh, is the fact that they are kind of leading the flow of making a long-term impact right end of the day you know if you look at uh, education healthcare, uh, the construct of uh, poverty elevation or environment arts and this is specifically speaking in uh, orientations of uh, you know uh, ESG and making an impact, uh, you know, if you really look at it, estimated 500 million has been put in uh, to align some of these things and an allocated 3.6 billion total philanthropic uh, investment in Middle East, uh, which is really 60% uh, increase in the Royal Office uh, engaging philosophy. I mean, if you really look at it, education, 500 million, healthcare, another 300 million, poverty elevation, another 250 million. All of these are creating long-term value for companies, which not only build an aspect of impact, but also create a long gestational value curve. And I think that itself uh, is where the value is. And you know, one of the things that you have to closely understand is that you know, 70% people are on social media, 76% of people are on partnerships, networks, and really find partners from a global virtual environment today. You know, and people are far more open to identifying partners from all over the world. Otherwise, it was always local, it was holding back, and that kind of has changed post-COVID. You know, also that has led to a large part of upskilling, which has happened across various ecosystems. And I think some of these dimensions have given uh, opportunities not only via growth but also via where businesses are experiencing uh, you know rapid growth in various industries uh, you know uh, be it fintech e-commerce metaverse uh, cyber security you know ai iot all of these are really really upping their game 
with uh, of course focus on the old uh, mature industry sections as well let me ask you this because you know you, you mentioned something else on linkedin which is really awesome um you guys poured about a you know remarkable 161.7 billion dollars into startups during 2023 q1 which is just immense and you know obviously and you kind of dive into it a little bit more of the micro but one of the biggest things I, I was curious on is, you know, I had a, a really uh, amazing opportunity to have, um, you know, the Amadi on recently. And he talks about obviously really being able to, you know, bring West countries and have a presence in the UAE and really make sure it's streamlined, right? Bridging that gap with, you know, law, legal, talent, all that fun stuff to make it very simple to have their presence there to obviously optimize the UAE uh, ecosystem environment and help them scale over here. Now, you're deploying in the startup side of things in that in that area, okay? What have been some um, kind of hurdles, if you will, in regards to, you know, deploying capital? Because you guys have a lot of capital and that's that's a given, but I would imagine, you know, with product market fit and as well as maybe even talent or maybe even just, you know, systems or process operations. I know the West over here, we're just consumers, right? We, we consume a lot. There's just a lot of consumable, but obviously I, I'm curious because the ecosystem, the environments are slightly different. Uh, when you guys are deploying capital in the startups and naturally you guys want to have a presence in that location, in that environment over UAE, Middle East and so forth. But do you guys try to take that company and have a presence in the West as well to make sure where your guys are able to scale at that higher level? Obviously, integrating the ESG, you know, DNA of, of that uh, foundation. But what what are you noticing are some hurdles or certain things that you were not expecting as as you deploy a lot of capital in the startups uh, in the Middle East? Or am I totally naive and mistaken on that? Well, I'm just curious on that. I'd love to get your perspective on it. Actually- Actually, we are not facing any hurdles, uh, Christian, frankly, to be really honest. Nice. You know, I think one of the things which is becoming very exciting is that uh, the world uh, looks at uh, being one, uh, especially in a business community, uh, very opportune. Uh, so people are today deciding, uh, and you know, COVID has really given that as a play, and technology has enabled us. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that today, People not necessarily are working out of the same office. So talent has become global. You know, offices are becoming ecosystems. Yes, consumers are segmented. So it becomes even more opportune as an opportunity to have global partnerships. You know, uh, earlier, I think the focus area used to be very, very dominated to local consumers. But today it is uh, global consumers. And I think that creates opportunities. So for us, you know, three areas have been very ecosystem. So we have, uh, we have, we work very closely with uh, uh, an organization called Mirai Jamak, who acts as our center uh, catalyst to be our structure. I sit on their board too. And we work very closely within helping three elements, people, partnerships, profit, and that for us is aligned towards the fact that do we need to find new, a new leader? Do they need technologists who are spread all over the world? Do you need teams that can consume partners across? Uh, or do you? how do you make it more profitable? You know, think about it like this, and I'll give you an example. Um, if you're based out of, uh, say, Chicago, and you want to make sure you have a technology, you are a food tech uh, recipe specialist. And it's a real example. Uh, 
This is a company which does great recipes for vegans. And the fact of the matter is, they if there are, say, 10,000 restaurants in Chicago, I'm sure there's a larger number, but hypothetically 10,000 restaurants. Uh, this team has to go to those 10,000 restaurants and then speak to those people to adopt uh, the recipe. Uh, and that's how business will happen. They go first, they will have to ma map those 10,000 restaurants out of those 10,000. 5,000 will hear them. 1,000 will give them a demo. 300 will go, uh, go build through. Now imagine they already were okay with saying in our first phase of growth, we aim to have, say, 500 customers out of the 10,000 people. That's how market share is cut out and defined it. But today, they can have those 500 customers, 15 in Vietnam, 10 in India, 30 in Japan, 50 in uh, uh, Australia, all of those ecosystems. So I think that creates an opportunity that not only drives value, but also creates long-term visibility of global growth. And I think that is what uh, the Mirai Jamak does for us in finding the true partners and help help the investee companies scale up as well. And you'll be very surprised. This is not a capital decision. This is a people decision. This is an impact decision. And in that case, it automatically becomes ESG for us uh, because end of the day, it is the increase of productive investment so that we don't waste time, money, and energy, and build a global emerging market region is the way the world is going ahead. Which is so fun. And I'm so glad you unpacked that. And it's just so cool to see that because like you mentioned, everything is global. So you have global talent, global acquisition, global markets, and global you know partnerships, and really having these synergistic relationships upon country and so forth. Uh, I, I want to talk because I, what I find so interesting, you mentioned this offline, you know, obviously we're seeing UAE just, you know, explode with a lot of, you know, the, the tele, telecon, you know, uh, technology hub over there in the Middle East, um, as well as, you know, you, we have India, you just mentioned where it went from, you know, the 10th, you know, largest economy to like the five. And of course, we are you know, very well known with Asia uh, and, and, and China and so forth that's happening there, which is awesome. My question is, is because of the immense amount of opportunity there, how do you navigate it? What does that look like in regards to, you know, you have a lot of opportunities, you have a lot of things you can deploy capital, but I would imagine you have to have a methodology and a filter to say, okay, hey, we're going to go ahead and, you know, isolate our attention and energy toward XYZ startups. Um, what are you looking for when you are deploying capital in those in those regions, but also in those founding companies, what are you looking for? What, what help us understand your methodology, your principles? What what does that look like? So I think this is a clear mandate for uh, Mirai within the Royal Office as well. Uh, and Mirai Jamak, I think one of the key aspects, uh, and we start with that, is to find heart, uh, and that heart is critical not only from a founder standpoint, but the heart in the business itself. You know, if you really look at it, uh, when we work with funds, when we fund funds, or when we work with companies, uh, and when we work with entrepreneurs, the choice of driving uh, AUM and to increase profitability stand quarter by quarter is really consistent. So the play, if you look at it, if you really see how funds are moving to UAE, Asia, Middle East, uh, 
Chinese venture capital are looking at Middle East for a long-term dollar lifeline. You know, Indian venture capitalists who are global today are chasing Asian capital, not only in India and the U.S. as well. You know, Middle East is becoming, uh, and Asia is becoming the new bridge, as I often call it. You know, fundamentally, the way to look at capital um, has been not only through deployment, but partnerships as well. Because understand, uh, I don't want to deploy my capital if I don't see visibility of a business model. And that business model will only come out of partnerships and people. So while the color of money from uh, Japan could be through debt uh, or which could, uh, it could be oil money in Middle East, it could be partnership money in uh, Dubai or the Emirates, it could be venture money out of Bay Area, it could be automotive money out of Michigan. Uh, it could be old oil money out of uh, Texas. You know, fundamentally, all people who hold and who intend to drive partnerships are critically looking at uh, places which could not only build for tomorrow, but to build a long legacy standpoint. And I think that uh, is a generation which is coming, which we are responsible for. And as business owners, as investors, as partners, and with you being the voice of something like that, we expect that to be delivered, not for ourselves, but for the coming generation. And that is clearly what Mirai looks at, not only when we identify an entrepreneur, but we identify a company that we want to acquire, or a team that we want to acquire, we look at how they take responsibility of taking the next step of being a better business model and being more proactive to creating a legacy. And I think that is very, very, very clear for us. And that's the way we look at uh, partnering with organizations or even helping companies who want to be organized or on that. Which makes perfect sense because any any founding company or startup that partners with you guys, not only do you deploy capital, but you have your Rolodex of individuals and other you know strategic partners that you can help this business, this startup scale relatively quickly uh, in in those global kind of um, you know geopolitical atmospheres, which is really awesome. Uh, I want to dive back into what you mentioned there in regards to kind of the um, which I found very interesting the, the structure of it. You were mentioning where hey. You guys focus a lot of your time energy on that ESG aspect, which is really, really awesome, that DNA of things. But also what I find interesting is your approach holistically with that startup side of things, okay, the founding areas and so forth. Now, when you are when you're allocating a lot of your time, energy, and effort, and, and you have your a lot of your team and underwriting these deals and so forth, and you guys are really actively deploying this. What do you find is necessary in regards to the time horizon? Uh, and a lot of funds here in the West, you know, VCs in particular, or even private equity, depending upon their structure, they have like a five to seven year timeline. And it sounds like to me, and you mentioned this earlier on as well, kind of, you know, sprinkled in, in our conversation, Pranav, where, you know, your guys' time horizon is much longer, right? Where, hey, you guys can deploy capital and you guys don't need a, you know, you know, liquid 
liquidity event right away because guess what you know you guys are thinking long term you guys thinking regional you guys are thinking really dominating that space which is really awesome so what when you approach the timeline of exiting what what does that look like and is that a 15 year kind of window is it a 20 year window how do you guys approach that 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 um exiting and uh, that timeline sequence so you know exit strategy uh Question is really, really a contingency plan, uh, frankly, and executed by uh, an investor or a venture capital uh, or a business owner ready to liquidate the position. Uh, you know, uh, so we are none of them. We are neither an investor. We are neither an investment uh, venture capital who's managing someone else's money. Uh, we are neither the business owner. So we are really, really. Uh, uh, we are not a father. We are probably the mother of the company where, you know, you made bad decisions. Your report card was says uh, F, uh, but I still need to feed you good food at night. <laughs> you know, there is still bread pudding uh, in the fridge for you. You know, I think that's a very important aspect for us. Uh, you know, I think exit uh, for making money versus exit to make someone healthy are two different approaches. And for us, the latter is important. And that's why when we invest in companies, we actually take equity stake while we help you uh, build those companies. So when we put in money, once we put in money, help you find your first 10 clients uh, from a B2B standpoint. You know, I mean, I really specialize in that. You know, helping companies cut across various of our investments to align to growth, you know, and once you've done that, they kind of help them succeed in those assignments, you know, and end of the day, those, those may still not work, but you know, once you consistently are able to drive orientation, we, that is why for us, uh, people is very important. The kind of fund is very important. We try to stay away from scenarios where we don't even know who we are in the funding scenario you know uh, i i other other day i met someone and he says i specialized in uh series uh z2 or something like that he said and i said i have no idea what z, z that is he says you know there's been various series and out of that it is not it's not z1 2 some situation he was trying to paint for me and i don't don't get it uh, great numbers everything was and it's a company that all of us know but you know, it's yeah, that company has been being funded for the past 15 years. So over the years, it's gone from A, B, C, D, E, F, and you know, internally it's at uh, Z2 level. We don't do that. So for us, it is primarily finding an opportunity to create success. Uh, so for us, uh, leading a predetermined orientation of an exit does not. Uh, does not work for us we are happy to uh, really be with you for the exit when it is necessary but in cases when we work with some funds because there is also allocation from a governance standpoint uh, we can define our strategy and delay our exits as well because the approach is to make you successful right i i don't know when you're going to grow up you know there are kids who grow up uh, at the age of 18 and they have the same his brother or his sister may grow up at the age of 45 
I'm just investing in the family. So, you know, the magic is uh, identifying if the family is right or not, you know. Uh, and I think that for us has been the criteria. Uh, there are some traditional approaches um, which we follow if uh, in some cases, but uh, we are not very, uh, 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 we are not very strict on that. We are happy to be very biased very flexible uh, around those ecosystems for some very special uh, categories could be for say special education could be for uh, areas that are for tribal development and so on and so forth our models of investment evaluation uh, are as long as 25 years wow Wow, that is incredible. And I think it's just so cool where you guys have aligned with the founder because you guys don't focus on that five to seven year timeline because you're, you're not looking for liquidity. You're looking for, hey, this is our North Star. We're looking at, at building a, a amazing business and amazing you know, company and watching that, they, watching them succeed and obviously I, deploying capital. I'll give, a, I'll give an example, which I think you'll understand well. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that story. Have you heard the story of a bamboo bamboo tree? No, so please tell us. The story of the bamboo tree is like this. Uh, when you see the bamboo tree, um, for the first five years, you water that plant on a daily basis. If you don't, of course, you're not nutrition. You're not giving enough nutrition. But for the first five years, that plant does not grow. But there is a moment of truth at the fifth year, right? And after that, the trees within the next six months grows 18 feet within a period of six months. So the, the pace of if you keep, if I feel bad that, hey, I've been watering this plant for three years and nothing has come out of it. Well, it's not supposed to. And, uh, and so your expectation is wrong. And more importantly, I can't compare it with another tree which is next door, which keeps on growing inch by inch. So I think it's very important to understand that the value of a decision and the value of investment is as important to be in orientation of what that investment will eventually be. And I think that creates the timeline. It is not that I have an exit date in mind. So exit strategy if not aligned to the purpose of the objective of making an impact is not the successful predetermined criteria uh, which helps anybody, neither the investor, neither the founder. So I think that very clearly is not our only goal. Of course, there are metrics to make our uh, equations clear so that we are on track. But end of the day, you have to be very aligned to say that I want to make this organization or make this investment successful and uh, not look at it from a timesheet set up by someone else. So powerful. And, and you know, you're, you're right, because I think there's always been this misunderstanding the investment thesis with a lot of these where they just deploy a lot of capital in this. They see a massive growth and scale, but it may not be you know sustainable long term or whatever. And I want to kind of pivot in regards to and I, further again, before we, we, we move on, I love your analogies. That is a great story. And after you mentioned it, I, I do remember someone telling me about that story. And I, I'm so glad you reiterated it here on our podcast. I'm curious um, here in the U.S., 
definitely within the last seven years, we have seen a lot of companies where these, these companies have deployed a lot of capital. And what I always found interesting is that they were never really a profitable business, right? They hit unicorn status, billion dollar valuation. And I'm specifically thinking about Uber and, and Lyft and others that deployed a lot of capital and acquisition and market share, but they were not actually profitable businesses. Uh, and they're still kind of, you know, right on the, on the borderline, right? In regards to the margins. So my question is, is I've seen some where a lot of venture, a lot of, you know, a lot of investors, they just deploy and they burn cash like crazy just for market share and, and really just domination of that, which makes sense to some extent. But then there's some where you have to actually have a sustainable business where you have to have some margin. And sometimes it may not be the sexy thing, right? It's all about growth and scale and blah, 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 and explosion and an internal rate of return and whatever. But then building a sustainable business, it's more of that long-term approach. How do you guys think about it? Is it more of like, hey, we're going to grow at all cost. We're going to burn cash. We're going to get acquisition. We're going to dominate this market share. And we're just going to go in there and just you know, dominate. Or is it more of saying, hey, we want to make sure this is a sustainable business, that we're not just burning cash for acquisition for you know clients or whatever. We want to make sure that we have some good margin and we're going to scale. Because you guys' time horizon is is much, much longer. And you guys can anticipate and expect that that kind of structure. Um, but I just want to bring that up because I have seen a lot of, we, we think these, these are businesses and they're unicorn valued, which is awesome, but they're like, they've never been profitable. And I just never really quite understood that. And yeah, you got a great internal rate of return, but it was just like, uh, I'm not sure if that was actually a, a profitable business and really structured uh, a good mode. So what, what is your opinion on that? And how do you guys think about uh, those kind of two different, um, you know, kind of structures of, of a business? You know, I think, uh, I don't think it's an investment uh, question, really. You know, it's also valuing company, in my view, is very private. Uh, you know, every mother loves his son. Uh, and, you know, giving a number or visual to what that uh, love is worth uh, is inconsequential, really. But, you know, I think coming back to Uber, Lyft uh, examples, uh, I think we have uh, lived at a time where, you know, there's a there was a consistent need of creating global highways. Uh, you know, when you create global highways, uh, you first create the road, and then the then the cars start driving on it. You know, when the cars will drive on it, uh, you will need uh, petrol pumps. You'll need fuel pumps around them. And once you need the fuel pumps, uh, and you will have a small city that needs to fulfill the need of those businesses. When you start at that small city, that small city will have a school, uh, the local grocer, as well as a, and other small businesses. Those small businesses grow up to become large businesses. Those large businesses become large uh, cities and so and so forth. But understand, it was that road that started it all. You know, and I think that is very important to look at how you build valuations. Um, so we are very cognizant that profitability partnership is very important, Christian. But also understand there are times where you look at great organizations like Uber, Lyft, a uh, lot of great organizations in India, um, uh, fintech companies, which are re revamping the way uh, you know uh, banking old banking is done or you, know, you see how tesla is working so hard in aligning to the way how 
you know ev revolution has picked on or if even in for that matter spacex or so many other industry leaders who have taken the plunge to really uh, disrupt the industry itself you know and i think that creates uh, uh, the orientation of the way we invest if you are looking at businesses that need to disrupt and we need to think otherwise the opportunity uh, to align to that interest is long term and it will make a difference so that new road gave life to a whole new city which did not exist in the past you know so that for us are uh, very clearly the way of how we look at it going ahead and valuing companies and you know when we look at that mirai does that consistently for us where mirai is internal mandate and mirai does that when i say that you know i want mirai's mission is to have 1% of 10000 companies uh, so that they uh, they are able to be a participant in global impact while we engaged in making very significant value because they are doing the heavy lifting in finding people they are looking at marketing partnerships helping you succeed and you know i think that creates an opportunity for all of us to trigger long term value and i think that is where the way of looking at valuation and profits are very different i am very very uh, positive that all these companies also which today are heavily valued will also turn profitable in some shape or the other so i am very hopeful about it because end of the day they were also the pioneers in doing that so i actually have immense respect for these companies because they did something which uh, was not the normal so you know uh, while they may be in some shape or size become different the fact of the matter is it is uh, a clear indication that the world is changing for long term success and of course in business profit will always be the core of a value but if we have to burn money to make people habitual to the change then we have to What a good perspective on that, and I definitely am tracking on that in regards to both of those approaches. Sometimes you need to because you got to build those roads, you got to build that foundation, and that takes a lot of capital. Uh, but then once you built that, now all of a sudden you have so many different, uh, so many different opportunities that you can build upon those roads. And I and I love that analogy. You made you make something very complicated, make it very simple. So I really appreciate that, uh, definitely for our audience and myself as well. Uh, Pranav, man, I I loved our conversation today. I appreciate you being on here and unpacking just the the fun, exciting things you're working on, the ESG un, uh, kind of micro, the the right perspective on that, and then also the great stuff that's going on in the Middle East, Asia, and and India, and some some of those amazing markets. No, exciting, um, exciting conversation. In fact, uh, we uh, we are looking at uh, setting up a U.S. office. We want to make sure that there is enough support within. creating an opportune entity we're looking at some of our partners within academic institutions like stanford university of chicago to really build a peer mentorship program so yeah so lot of uh, things in the valley not only from an investment structure but from a mentor structure partnership structure and the world is becoming one so 
lots to do together and uh, it was very very exciting to speak to you i i hope uh, i made uh, some complicated things simpler and uh, look forward for having more such conversations christian definitely 100% guys that is my friend the chief investment officer the one and only pranav jody guys uh, you can uh, you know connect with him on linkedin down in the description below but guys that a journey with christian Nevis podcast until next time be in common if you can <laughs>